We are in the series Monumental, and last week we talked about, um, about drivers. We started with that metaphor, and we talked about these, the drivers that, you know, you're, it's like you got a string attached to your, to your eyes and your hands, and, and whatever you look at on the road, it inevitably leads your hands to go with you. And so uh, maybe you've driven on the highway, and you've been on a, a shoulder that's been closed, and there's these concrete barriers, and and as you keep looking at those barriers, like, am I close? Am I too close? You just start easing your way uh, closer and closer to the obstacle and closer and closer towards an accident. And so we're looking for the things that, that we set our eyes to, that some of those things take us towards an accident and towards corruption, and some of those things takes us toward God. And so today we're going to talk about those monuments of God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. We're going to sing, sing that out, and we're going to think about how faithful God is and draws us into his life and his goodness. And so if you think about those two lines like the lanes on a highway, and you might think about the two water boundaries of a major story in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about a story that the text says to memorialize the story forever. And there's some irony that probably most of us don't know the story or don't remember the story, and yet we're supposed to memorialize it forever. Uh, and so most of us have heard and think about that story of the crossing of the Red Sea as, as the Israelites make their way out of Egypt. And then they spend time in the wilderness, and eventually they're going to cross the Jordan River. And there's another kind of miraculous water crossing scene there too. And so I'm going to have us read from Joshua chapter 3. And chapter 3 and 4 uh, have a, a big full version of this story and it kind of repeats itself, and so we're going to read through some snippets um, of those two chapters. And so Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Now when the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. And now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the entire time of the harvest. And so when those who bore the Ark of the Covenant had come to the Jordan... And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the edge of the water. The waters flowing from above stood still. And rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, while those flowing toward the sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. And then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And when all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over it. And so we see in this story this crossing of the Jordan River. And if you've been to uh, the Jordan River, it might surprise you that it's not a massive river. It's kind of meager and it's, you know, it varies from maybe two feet deep in some spots to 10 feet deep. It's not a very uh, big river. And so maybe the, the imagery here doesn't seem super impressive as like when you watch the Moses movie on the Ten Commandments and you see these waters part at the Red Sea and all of that. Um, but I think there's something symbolic that's happening with this water crossing scene that is just kind of dripping with meaning. And if you think about crossing over chaotic waters in the Old Testament, there's a lot of images. We've got here the, the crossing over on dry land, uh, but there's also God's creation in Genesis 1, which God begins creating, and there's these chaotic waters that God is calling up creation from, and he's separating the waters out. 
And it's not too many chapters later that the chaotic waters come in a flood in the stories of Noah. And maybe you remember the, the prophet Jonah who, who, who tries going the opposite direction of God's call, and there's a sea that, that gets turmoil and, and the storm that comes crashing down. And maybe most vividly in, in the book of Revelation, the imagery of the beast that people want to follow after instead of the Lamb of God. And one of those beasts is said to come up out of the sea. And the common thread through all of this chaotic water is that God is more powerful than the waters of chaos. And so in, in our story, we see another glimpse of that story. And my favorite part about that in this text is that the waters don't subside, that God doesn't show power until the priests get their feet wet. It's when they get into the water of the Jordan that the waters cut off. And you might imagine how comical it is of, um, you know when people are doing a construction project and people like to just kind of watch on? And you're like, hmm, we'll see how that's going to go. And if you can imagine carrying these, this big ark and starting to walk across and you're like, man, you're going to be underwater and you're going to be carrying this heavy thing. That's not going to go well. And it's not until the priests get into the water that the waters subside. And so I wonder how many of us wish that the waters of chaos in our life would disappear and we would have dry land without having to ever experience what chaos looks like. Right? We want that dry land without having to get our feet wet. And so in this story, there's this leap of faith about trusting that God will ultimately save us in the midst of the chaos. And that's, that's something that takes trust and takes faith because oftentimes it looks like the waters of chaos are winning the battle here and now. The waters of chaos of COVID feel like they are winning battles. The waters of chaos of anger and hatred feel like they are winning battles. The waters of chaos of racism feel like it is winning battles. But ultimately, we believe that our God is the liberating God who will call off the waters of chaos and will make dry land and will make safe passage from slavery to a promised land. Ultimately, God is victorious and love wins. And we struggle with holding on to that faith and taking that leap out into the water and last week we talked about making monuments to corruption, things that led us the other direction, that led us towards uh, more oppression. And we don't easily go towards the monuments of faithfulness. And I couldn't help but think about monuments of faithfulness and the ways in which they get used for good or for evil. And uh, I, I've been doing some reading on different kinds of monuments in the last few weeks, and one of the monuments that stood out to me uh, was created in 1914 at the Arlington National Cemetery. You've got this cemetery to all of these uh, American soldiers who have fallen over the years. And in 1914, there was construction of a Confederate monument, which already rubbed some feathers in weird ways of why are we building a monument to the Confederacy in Arlington National Cemetery? And, and I don't want to get into all of that, but there's an image on that Confederate monument that is one that was prevalent in the South, and that's of the loyal or the faithful slave. And in this Confederate monument in Arlington National Cemetery, there's a depiction of this black enslaved woman holding a white baby with a tear running down her face because her Confederate slave owner is about to go off to war and have to leave his kid behind, and she's sad for him that he has to leave her kid behind. 
And there's this imagery that is trying to say that slaves loved that life, that they loved this oppression, that this type of society was what was good and right, and this ugly message. And it's not the depiction of the Underground Railroad or slave rebellions or uh, the, 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 the black people who left the South and joined the Union and fought against the Confederacy. Instead, it's this, this morphed image that tries to depict this fictitious, faithful slave as, as in, this is the good thing, uh, in order to keep people down, in order to say to people who want more justice, who want actual equality, uh, you know, why, why can't you just accept and like where you're at in this world? Um, why can't you go back to the good old days where you were happy and joyful and singing songs? And it's this ugly, ugly image that is meant to oppress people. And so the purpose of a monument matters. And the corrupt monuments of this world might even try to depict human faithfulness, but they do so to uphold slavery and to uphold oppression. But God's faithful monuments are monuments to a God who is always faithful to upend slavery, to end it. And this story of God's faithfulness of the Israelites crossing over into the promised land, of not just being taken out of slavery, but, but being brought to a place where you might have life. Uh, there, there's this beautiful image about you should remember this story. You should remember God's faithfulness. And so if you want to read with me, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verse 4 through 7 and then go towards the end of the chapter. Then Joshua summoned the 12 men from the Israelites whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan River, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it had crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be a memorial to the Israelites forever. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you crossed over. And as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I love that God recognizes and tells Joshua, and Joshua tells the people, that we need reminders of God's faithfulness. Those moments of blessing, those moments of goodness feel great in the moment, and then we, we forget about them too quickly. And so don't we all need reminders? And, and what's the point of the monument of something that's meant to be a reminder if we forget what the reminder is meant to be about? And so in the story, it talks about what is this monument supposed to mean? And you should be able to sh share that. And I love that you need to know the answer for yourself because if someone asks you what does this monument mean, you've got to be able to give an answer. And so for, for us, it's not enough to just be like, well, you know, someone knows the tradition. Uh, but what do you say about this monument of God's faithfulness? And it's not just for you, but for the next generation. How do you share that answer with, with the children, with the next generation who comes after you? What is this monument about? Where was God faithful in the past? 
And not just for you and not just for the children, but all people. Joshua 4, 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That meaning, that purpose, that, that faithfulness you see in God is not meant to be held up and to be covered over, but that light is meant to shine out and share that good news with those who need to hear it. And so I, I wonder what monuments to the faithful God do you have in your life? And as I was trying to think of what monuments stuck out to me, I have to admit it might feel like a strange object, but for me, one of the most powerful imagery, uh, images of, of God's faithfulness is a cardboard box that's filled with your things when you move. Um, because that's one of the things that, that my wife and I have done over, over our, the course of our marriage is trusted God that God was going to move us to this next place and that God had a purpose for us. And even when you leave things behind and you, you have that distance from, from friends and from family and from those that you care for, but surely God has a reason that God is calling us forward. And the imagery of being able to put your stuff in a box and say, well, I, I hope it's going to make it to my destination, um, that it's going to be safe on this journey, but more importantly, that, that we are going to make it to where God has for us and that God is going to take care of us no matter where we are, that God is going uh, to love and, and bring out um, his purposes in us. And I know that a big part of why I, I want to say yes to where God is leading is because I want to see those moments of, of God taking people from that slavery of Egypt, from that oppression, and bringing them into not just the meanderings of wilderness, but promised land of hope and life, you know, out of the slavery of addiction into freedom, you know, out of the slavery and the wilderness of anger and to love, out of, out of the sling, this, this, this wilderness and, and slavery to greed, to being selfless and letting go. Surely we can see in the world around us plenty of the waters of chaos. Is our heart set to be about God's liberation of those things? That God is going to remove them and we want to be on mission with God in the removal of those. And so sometimes we get lost on that path. We started out going towards a promised land and we end up meandering in a wilderness and we start murmuring and we start being like, man, you know, my preference, my opinion, my taste on this or that suddenly goes to the top of what I care about. And promised land gets less and less important. But do we have a passion for promised land, for Jordan River crossings? Do we make those monuments and set them up of here's where God is faithfully moving people into that promised land? And we are all invited into that, that liberation and into those monuments, those celebrations of God's faithfulness. One of those, obje one of those obvious monuments is about baptism itself. Think about the Gospels, and, and uh, the Gospel of John especially says that John the Baptist was baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan, and kind of this imagery of the Jordan as that entrance into promised land and willingness to accept God's invitation to change and to be transformed. And so John is there uh, giving this imagery of water and you know, the waters of chaos feel like you're going to die, but you get raised by God into newness of life. 
And for those of you who have experienced baptism, I hope that you are reminded of those waters. And I hope that each time you see baptism, you're reminded of what that experience is like personally, but, but communally. And if you've never experienced baptism, I want to extend that invitation because it is a beautiful image, one that you can look back on and cherish, that, that God has victory over the waters of chaos, over death, and that life wins, and that love wins. And so, uh, if you're interested in being baptized, and I know we're in the midst of COVID and things are a little bit unusual, you can always reach out. You can always send a message to the church. You can always uh, email, text, Facebook me. Um, I'd love to talk about that with you if you're interested in baptism. We have other images of, of monuments of faithfulness to God, one of which we're going to partake of in just a little while with communion, that God might offer life even on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that Jesus would be faithful and, and wash the disciples' feet and offer the bread of life and the cup of the covenant, and that God is always faithful and always loving, even to a cross. So what are your monuments towards God's faithfulness? I want to close by reading you some lyrics of a song. Uh, the song is by Leon Bridges. He's a 30-year-old soul singer from Fort Worth. Uh, and his, his music isn't explicitly like it's only meant to be played in churches. It, it, it has a public platform, but his words are dripping uh, with God's liberation in it. The song's titled, Take Me to the River. Been traveling these wide roads for so long, my heart's been far from you, 10,000 miles gone. In my darkness, I remember Mama's words reoccur to me. Surrender to the good Lord, and he will set you free. Take me to your river. I want to go. Tip me in your smooth waters. I go in as a man with many crimes. Come up for air as my sins flow down the Jordan. Take me to your river. I want to go. God's invitation is to all of us. Dry land doesn't just appear easily that takes some steps out into the water. So you're invited to take those steps into the water. And you're invited to put up pillars that remind you of God's faithfulness in those moments. So will you wade with us into the waters, the God who liberates all? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful even when we are unfaithful. Lord, we ask that you would call us ever more faithfully into your love and into your mission. Lord, I ask that you might bring reminders to each of us that are worshiping you right now. Reminders of when you have been faithful so that we might trust and step out in faith even more courageously, even more bravely in the next moment. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your ever-present love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.